This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Hi, everyone. My name is Stephanie Presseller. I'm the Sustainability Manager here at Moraine Valley Community College, and I'd like to welcome you to one of our Earth Month events. Uh, if you weren't aware, I hope you were aware, there was plenty of flyering going along. Um, the month of April is uh, is our Earth Month celebration. We, we host a lot of different um, events throughout the month, and this is one of them. And um, we're calling this event a conversation about being beautiful cosmetics for men and women. And um, this topic is a, is a hot topic in the news today, and uh, we have somebody here who's going to be able to highlight some of those concerns about cosmetics and share with us. So um, Tamara Coleman-Hill is one of our esteemed co communications faculty here, um, but she has also worked with the Campaign for Safer Cosmetics, a coalition effort to protect the health of consumers, workers, and the environment through policy reforms necessary to eliminate dangerous chemicals from cosmetics and personal care products. Ms. Coleman-Hill will share with us information about chemicals in our personal care items, the environmental implications and health risks, associated with them and how to reduce our exposure for a healthy you and a healthy planet. The Healthy You, Healthy Planet has been our theme for this Earth Month, so several different topics have been focused on how um, we do things for ourselves that make us healthy, healthy actually help keep the environment healthy as well. Uh, just a couple of plugs for some upcoming things before we introduce Tomorrow um, is tomorrow we have Campus Tree Walks. We'll be uh, working with the Morton Arboretum to host three walks. There's one at 10.30, one at 11.30, one at 12.30. We'll go around our campus, learn about our trees and the benefits that they provide to us. Um, and you'll meet at the uh, clock tower by the S building. And then today is also Meatless Monday. Um, every Monday from now on, the Cafe Moraine will be highlighting different meatless options within each of the stations. There will still be meat options, but the idea behind Meatless Monday is um, to draw attention to the health and environmental benefits that can be, uh, that can be accomplished by reducing your meat con consumption at least once a week. Um, not asking you to go meatless for the rest of your life, of course. So uh, next Monday, there'll be some materials. I'll be there to answer questions during lunchtime. And then um, for future reference, you can always go to meatlessmondays.com uh, for more information. And lastly, um, we have several different ways that you can access sustainability information, uh, go green information here at the campus. I'm one of them as your sustainability manager. This is the Center for Sustainability right here in L242. It's open access to you whenever um, some staff are in it. Also, moraineValley.edu slash sustainability will help you out. Sustainability at moraineValley.edu will help you out. And lastly, we are on Facebook, and it's Go Green Moraine Valley. So come like me as a friend, and I'll share information with you. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Tamara Coleman-Hill, who will share with us about cosmetics and how to be safe. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Stephanie. All right, I'm going to try to figure out how to navigate this whole space up here. I have to control the presentation, talk about the products on the table, share my own story, show a couple videos, and 
few other things we're going to do um, in the time that we're here. Um, we scheduled this for a, a one-hour session, and I timed all of the information I want to give you um, to about 25 minutes to 30 minutes, depending how quickly I can run through it. And then the rest of the time is um, for any uh, questions, uh, question and answer session for you to ask me whatever you want to ask, and I will answer them um, as much as I can or direct you to other resources where you can find further information. Okay, first off, I want to be clear um, that I am an um, English teacher. I teach uh, writing. Some of you are in my class. I also teach um, literature. I am not an expert. I am not a chemist. Um, I am not a scientist. Um, I am not a legislator, although I've worked with legislators. Um, but I am going to be talking about um, these sort of scientific chemistry kinds of issues because we're talking about products, right? Um, but I have got my information from um, organizations I've been working with, books that I've read, and other work that I've done in the past uh, six years on reproductive health and um, cosmetics. Um, so at the end of the slide presentation, there's a, a final slide with a few websites that you can actually access to um, get further information, to look at these issues a little bit more deeply, because I'm only going to sort of touch on the surface of these really um, important and, I think, relevant issues. Okay, so w w we talk about cosmetics, um, and I brought some over here on the table, and I just want to, well, let me do this, walk over here really quickly and show you what I've brought here. Um, just a bunch of different products. Some are empty. Those are the ones that I use. Um, and a few other products aren't empty. Um, these are ones that I have in my house for whatever reason, but I've decided not to use them. As I go through the presentation and as I talk about some of the um, chemicals, some of the, um, um, some of the gook, the junk, the crap that's in the products, we'll um, at the end sort of look at why I use these and not these and look at some of the very specific ingredients that are in those products that for um, scientists and chemists are problematic. Um, and then at the end, feel free to come on up and look at some of the products as well. I also want to talk about cost because one of the big issues about um, this whole thing, go green or getting healthier products or safer, you know, cosmetics or safer cleaning products, the issue is, well, I can't afford the stuff that's, you know, um, better for you. And I'm going to talk about um, the affordability factor because I, I do have four kids in my household and myself, so we go through a lot of these products pretty quickly. And, again, if I told you already, I'm a teacher, so I don't make that much money. So if I can afford these products, most of you, if not all of you, can also afford the products that are better for you. So we'll come back to this table in the moment, in a moment. The other thing that I have up here, and this is available um, in our library, it's also available in bookstores or on Amazon, and um, Stacey Malkin also has a website uh, called Not Just a, a Pretty Face, where you can go and she has a blog set up there and discussions and questions and, and answers and about different, you know, cosmetics related issues. But this is a, a really groundbreaking book. She actually came to campus a few years ago and talked about the work that she's doing um, on safer cosmetics. Her and a few other people started the um, cosmetics the, the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, which is a group that I worked with for a, a short period of time when I was doing advocacy work. This is a really good book. Stacey Malkin was a journalist and a writer, so it's well-written just in terms of the writing, but there's a lot of really good, solid scientific information about cosmetics products um, in this book. So th here's something else you might want to look at as a resource. Okay, so the question are our cosmetics safe? And if they're not safe, why not? 
it always seems a little weird when you say, I go to the grocery store and I buy a product and I don't know and no one else knows whether or not it's bad for me. One would think that when you purchase something in a store that there's some sort of regulation or some sort of regulatory body that's looking at what we eat and what we put on our bodies, right? But it's not really the case. Um, what are cosmetics? What I've included in, the, in this in this definition is a definition that was taken directly from the FDA. This is how the FDA defines cosmetics. Um, we're talking about um, products and their intended use. So if it's something that's meant to be rubbed on, poured on, sprayed on, if it's meant to clean, cleanse your body, deodorize, or do any of these sort of um, things that um, we could say cleanse, but also modifications. We're not talking about surgical modifications, but we're talking about application-type modifications. All of those things that you can think of are considered cosmetics. So we're talking about everything on that table from shampoos to lotions to toothpaste to deodorants to shaving cream. And also what's on there, I have a small box of um, panty liners. Feminine hygiene products, ladies, just so you know, I think this is important for guys to know too because they need to talk to their mothers and sisters about this as well. Feminine hygiene products are considered cosmetics. What does that mean to you? That means that there is no regulation. So all of that stuff that you're using to freshen, to cleanse, and to do all these other things, no one's saying this is good for us or this is not good for us. And I think that's super important when we start thinking about the reproductive health implications that go along with using some of these products. So nail polish is also, I have a, a sample of nail polish over there, lip balms, all of these things are categorized as cosmetics, according to the FDA. So just for a moment... I want to reflect on this notion of cosmetics and um, um, these beautifying, cleansing alterations, modifications that we make every day to our bodies. And I have a few questions I want you to kind of think about. And at the end, if people want to share, that might be great for us to hear um, your sort of thoughts and, and your experiences in relation to cosmetics. Why do we need cosmetics? Are cosmetics important? Do cosmetics make us healthier, smarter, more successful? What's your story? When did you learn that you needed to use cosmetic products or cosmetics? Um, I ask this question because I think before when I uh, was asked to do this, this presentation, I was thinking about different ways to present these issues. And I thought, well, you know, I could pass out a bunch of, you know, flyers and give people facts and tell them to go to the FDA website, tell them to go to the safecosmetics.org website. But the reality is um, cosmetics are so ingrained in our society, in our culture, and how we feel about ourselves that it's really hard to tell people, to look them in the eye and say, you need to stop wearing this or you need to stop using that because it's bad for you. You need to stop coloring your hair because it you know, has known carcinogens in it. It's a very difficult thing to do because somehow these questions that I'm asking are completely directed to uh, or completely related to um, how we feel about ourselves. Um, most of us know that lipstick or hair coloring or deodorant is not going to make us smarter. Most of us know that it's not necessarily going to make us healthier, right? It might give us a different fragrance scent or it might give us a different hair color, but it's not going to do any of those things that we really need. So why do we use these products? So I want to share with you um, a little story of my own um, about cosmetics and the use of cosmetics. 
Um, this is a, a story that um, I've included in a selection, uh, a collection of essays that, I've, that I'm working on that I'm writing and I'm going to compile into a book form. But when I was asked to do this, it made me think of this essay and it made me think about my own experience and I thought the best way to talk to people about how they feel about themselves and how they feel about beauty and cosmetics is to share my own personal story. So if you'll indulge me just for a few minutes, I'd like to share my story. It's called Group Hair. Now, this is going to be a little bit difficult because I'm going to have to work through this sheet here at the same time. In the black community, hair is everything. Many of us have spent our lives dealing with our hair. Hair has defined us in ways that demarcate us along political lines. Historically, Natural hair signified rebellion, rebellion against mainstream notions of beauty or society, rebellion against our mamas, because many of us in the black community have heard, you ain't going out there with that nappy hair, are you? And rebellion against ourselves. Processed or, unna processed or unnatural hair, this is the hair that has been tamed and controlled as not to offend the masses, signified assimilation. Now, before we get all down on the assimilationist, it's important to understand that assimilating has its perks. Straighter, longer, and calmer hair have brought us jobs, jobs, men, self-confidence, and compliments by our fellow sisters. But if these categories aren't enough, there's a third category, the are you mixed kind of hair. This hair is more problematic than one might think. In the black community, mixed hair seems desirable because it's not synonymous with the, the black power fist or the black fist pick for that matter. And it's not completely straight either. But it allows for free movement within both worlds as the owner of the mixed hair might deem necessary. However, for many of us in the black community who, was blessed, who were blessed and cursed with the good hair, this navigation is not easy. Throughout my childhood, I longed for straight hair. The straight hair you get after a one-hour date with a hot comb, or the outcome from the tingling and burning that comes along with chemical relaxers. I wanted to look and feel like the other girls. My sisters, both metaphorical and literal sisters, and my mother. I was disgusted by the well-meaning, you got good hair. Are you mixed? Look at her pretty hair. What are you? Are you half white? Hey, red. The last one was the worst. This is a common cat call by black men referring to light-skinned women and girls who usually had mixed hair. I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be a black girl. For years, I begged my mother to perm, meaning permanent relaxer, my hair. Every time I saw my sisters getting their hair permed and pressed, um, a process done with a hot comb that was heated on the stove, I felt different, not black enough. Finally, in the seventh grade, my mother permed my hair. I got to wear the straight styles, get the roller sets, and wear my hair down. This is what we call it in the black community when your hair was freed from braids, pigtails, or ponytails. I continued to perm my hair regularly until I was 21 years old. It is no coincidence that this coincided to, with my introduction to feminism, activism, and the movements of the 1960s. While as a little girl, being black meant being inside of a singular standard or notion of blackness. As a young woman, being black meant something different. 
I was learning that blackness was much more complex and multifaceted. As an emerging feminist, I didn't want to be inside anymore. I wanted to be outside, but not outside in the way that I felt as a little girl. I wanted to be outside in a way that challenged inside-outside notions altogether. So I started wearing my hair natural. <laughs> my natural mixed hair, that is. The well-meaning comments started again, but they were different, different, or at least I perceived them as different. This time, my hair was associated with pop culture. First, there was Freddie. Freddie was the natural, biracial-looking um, uh, free spirit on a different world, the spinoff of the Cosby show in the 1980s. Then there was Scary Spice of the popular all-girl band, the Spice Girls. I didn't completely love this association, but at least she was subversive. I've been wearing this style off and on for the last 15 years, pausing for moments in between to wear extremely short boy haircuts as a personal way to assert my feminism, my power. The long, natural, mixed, wild, Freddie hair carried freedom with it, but somehow it lacked the power of the super short boy cut that conveyed I was two drinks away from a girl-on-girl -girl fling or that my brain operated on overdrive. Whatever message was conveyed, all attention from the opposite sex shut down when I was in the butch phase. I think I secretly wanted this. I wanted attention, not because of my hair, but because I was smart, funny, witty, and talented. I wanted people to notice me, not my hair. It was one of those pauses in my life when I wanted to feel powerful. I'd been thinking about locking my hair, you know, the dreadlocks. I wanted, I needed something that made me feel strong and confident. So I went to a local hair salon seeking a solution to the powerlessness that permeated my body. I sat down for a consultation with the lead stylist in the salon. She was also the owner. And I said, I want to cut off all my hair. I can't deal with it anymore. I want something easy. I've got three kids, a full-time job. I can't be bothered with my hair all morning. Then I looked at her. She had a cute, short, jazzy cut, and she had mixed hair to boot. Something like your hair, I said. Yeah, something like that would be good. She turned to me and looked me straight in my eye and said, Oh, no, this isn't going to work for you, honey. Your hair texture is different from mine. You have a tighter curl. It won't look like this. You have to do what's right for your hair. Don't cut off all your hair. That's unnecessary. You should get a relaxer. It will make your hair easier to manage, and you won't be looking crazy. Presumably, I was looking crazy when I came into the salon. You'll look nice. My hair always looks nice because I know what my hair can do. Now, I'm rarely intimidated by people, but for some reason, this woman scared me. I recoiled. She was around my mother's age and had been doing hair for the last 30 years. And like many of the black women of my mother's generation, she talked with confidence in a matter-of-fact kind of way that made me believe her. Even though I had spent a few years working with the National Organization on the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, of which relaxers are not, and I had committed to not using harmful cosmetics, including relaxers, hair dyes, nail polishes, lotions, deodorants, and makeup, I meekly spit out, well, I don't really like relaxers. She immediately interrupted, well, I don't know why not. Relaxers have changed since the 60s. There are different relaxers for all hair types now. We can put a light relaxer on your hair, and you can still wear it natural. Is that an oxymoron? Before I knew it, I was in a chair with a smock wrapped around me, and the shampoo girl was smearing gobs of chemical relaxer onto my head. It wasn't long until the tingling began, and 
the, the tingling began on my scalp and then the stinging. Once the chemicals were rinsed out and my hair was washed, I was set down in the stylish chair where she blew out all semblance of curl that the relaxer may have forgotten. She then tamed it even more with a curling iron. As the women in the salon began to surround me, all I heard was, her hair is beautiful. She's got long, pretty hair. When she was done, she turned me around facing the mirror, and it took everything in me to respond to, it's pretty. You like it? I was only able to muster up half a smile and a feeble, it's nice. I then walked out into the sunlight, and a mild breeze blew my newfound locks, reminiscent of Christy, the black Barbie doll from the 1980s. I sat down in my car trying to piece together what had just happened. I couldn't comprehend it. This time, I didn't want a perm. And worse still, I was scheduled to attend the National Women's Studies Association Conference the following week, and Angela Davis was the keynote speaker. If any of you remember Angela Davis, she was the, the, the sort of proverbial poster, you know, poster girl for black power in the 1960s with the big afro. And I was going to see her. <laughs> How could I hold my head up in front of Angela, who had spent all those years fighting for blackness in its natural state with the relaxer? I've spent the last two years thinking about and talking about this experience. I shared this story with a dear friend of mine, and he cleverly suggested that I was group-haired. I asked him what he meant, and he likened my experience to that sociological concept of groupthink. When, when people in a given community or society conform to the thinking of the larger group, essentially, they lose themselves. I lost myself that day. A month later, I cut off all my hair. So I tell that story because um, when I think about why I use cosmetics, um, why I want straight hair or curly hair or red hair or dark hair or why I put on makeup, there's really no connection to who I am as a person. Um, and so what, when I, what I ask you to do, at least in the next few you know, minutes that we're here together, is to think about why you use cosmetics, why we as a society use cosmetics. Is it to fit in? Is it to be a part of a larger group? Is it to be accepted? Um, is it to feel better about ourselves? And if that is the case, to feel better about ourselves, I think our society has a larger problem, which is why we don't feel good about ourselves without these products to begin with. And I think it's also important to understand that um, cosmetics uh, products are cultural. This isn't universal, that everybody uses deodorant. It isn't universal that everybody uses, you know, um, you know color their hair or do all of these sorts of things. It's really something that we've constructed in our society. The cosmetics industry is a $38 billion industry for a reason, because they've sort of duped us, I believe, into believing that we need this stuff in order to um, be better, be smarter, look better, be accepted, and, and so forth. And um, the one thing that I will say about it is that, of course, just like everyone else, I got up this morning, I showered, which means I, I, I used some sort of soap product, right? I used some sort of moisturizing product like a lotion or something like that. I used some sort of deodorant, which many of us use. I used some sort of toothpaste. I put some gel in my hair, although this is fairly natural. I did put a little bit of product in my hair as well. I also put makeup on my face when I got up in the morning. I think it's important for us to think about how much we use. Because what you will hear from the cosmetics industry is that it's safe in small amounts. But no one is talking about how much product we layer on top of other products. So the soap, then the lotion, then the moisturizer, and then think about women who wear makeup, the products on their face, the stuff that's in our hair. When you start layering the, the, the um, chemicals 
all on top of each other, it's no longer just a little bit, right? It's a lot of that chemical that you're being exposed to. And it's not just um, one time. It's every single day that we're using these products. So when the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics talk about usage, that's what we're thinking about, long-term, life sort of term usage of these cosmetics, not something you're just going to put on your eyes once and that's it. So what's in our cosmetics? Why, didn't, uh, why was I making such a big deal about getting a hair relaxer or um, using nail polishes or, or lotions and deodorants? Well, there's lots of things. Um, there's a list that's been compiled by um, several advocacy groups talking about different, pro different um, ingredients, and they call them the dirty dozen. So there are 12 um, uh, toxic chemicals that are in many cosmetics products that you should look out for when you're looking at labeling. The first one is parabens. Parabens are preservatives, and that, this isn't just about every mainstream cosmetics product from um, lotion to soaps to toothpaste. And um, yes, we know that women use far more cosmetics than men, but there are products that men use on a daily basis just like women, and toothpaste is one of them. So parabens are preservatives. Um, Debutophilates. These are plasticizers, so they, make a, uh, uh, they give a certain sort of texture to a product to make it usable. Um, something else that I think you should know about debutophilates, they're not only found in cosmetics products, they're also found in vinyl. So if you can remember ever opening a brand new shower curtain, a vinyl shower curtain, and that smell that comes along with it, that smell is killing you. <laughs> it's not a smell that, that you necessarily want to have. And, and not only that, when you first open it, you can smell it, but even after multiple usages, you could smell that um, that whatever the, the chemical compound, which is a phylate, in the vinyl shower curtains. I've actually switched to a, um, it's kind of a polyester sort of curtain. It's kind of like the ones that they use in hotels, and they're not that much more expensive. I think you can get those for $12.99. I know the vinyl ones might be $3.99, but it's only a few dollars more to get something that's better for you. Um, so there are the, uh, the phylates. Um, then fragrance. Sometimes you'll see fragrance listed on a, a product as parfum, right? The problem with fragrance is that no one knows what this means. So this is a catch-all phrase that the cosmetics industry uses to hide many other products. So there's no way of knowing unless the company itself tells you this, 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 and this is used as a fragrance. So anything that says fragrance, you want to stay away from. And unfortunately, fragrances are in most products. Even if on the front it says um, non-scented or unscented or non-fragrance, you don't want to go by what's on the front. You want to go by what's on the back, what's listed. So it'll say unscented, but in that little box on the bottom, it'll tell you fragrance. So you want to be really careful when you're looking at labels. Um, then there's formaldehyde. This is the worst. Um, for, you, you will rarely, if ever, see formaldehyde actually listed on a product. It comes in different forms, and, and in just a moment I'll pull up um, a list of other terms that you'll see for formaldehyde. And that's because formaldehyde is not necessarily um, a product in and of itself. It's something that's released from other products in, in the form of a, um, like a vapor. Um, Formaldehyde is found in hair relaxers, um, which is why that smell is so strong. It's also found in the Brazilian blowout, which is so popular, and I'm going to show a video in just a moment from ABC talking about the blowout. Um, it's also found in nail polishes, which is why nail polishes are so strong and offensive. Um, so these are things you want to stay away from. Um, the FDA, OSHA, and other federal agencies have already listed formaldehyde as a, as a known carcinogen. Um, so clearly this is something that is problematic and shouldn't be in our uh, cosmetics. 
And then there's DEA. Um, it's another chemical that comes in a bunch of other different names. But if you see a DEA or a BHT or any of these sort of three-letter um, acronyms on the back of a label, these are also chemicals that you want to stay away from. Um, and, of course, there's lead and mercury, which are heavy metals that sit in our bodies and are problematic. In general, some, these things are found in not only lipsticks, but also um, mascaras. We see lead and mercury um, uh, coming up. Um, you also see strange things like tar, which is scary, in mascaras. And then the last six, dioxane. Um, petrolatum, which is a petroleum-based product. Anything that says petroleum or petrolatum, we're talking about it essentially comes from crude oil, and then it's manufactured into these other sorts of products. Um, sodium lauryl sulfate, that's the product that makes bubbles. So anything that you use that lathers, it, and also dish detergent falls in this category as well. Um, the shaving cream for men, all of that nice lather that you get, that's from this chemical called sodium lauryl sulfate. Baby shampoos, and this is really the, the part for me that really um, made this an important issue for me. As I started having kids and I started learning more about these products, um, there was a study that came out a few years ago that talked about bubbles, bubble baths, um, shampoos for, for babies. Um, most of the mainstream products, if not all, and when I say mainstream, anything you find at Juul, Osco, any of these just, you know, your run-of-the-mill sorts of stores where you get your cosmetics, most of those products are going to contain these chemicals. Um, you really have to go out of your way to find stuff that's not, um, you know, in, in line with the, the rest of these products. But one of the things that I learned about the sodium lauryl sulfate is that in the bubble bath for babies, and Johnson & Johnson is the worst offender, and it's really sad to me because whenever I go to baby showers, there's always this proverbial sort of basket of Johnson & Johnson baby products with powders and stuff that we're, we're giving to people for their babies. But the bigger the bubbles, the more the chemicals. And I know that my kids like bubble baths. And I always say, Mom, put more soap, more soap. And I was, now I tell them no, and they think I'm kind of a fuddy-dud. But I'm not going to risk the health of my kids for the sake of them having bubbles in their bath. And I think at some point we have to let go of these ideas of what we should have or what should be fun or what should be interesting, right? Um, bubbles just aren't that interesting in my house anymore. Um, but that's what we're talking about when we talk about sodium lauryl sulfate. And then um, sil siloxane, um, triclosan, that's a product that's found in toothpastes, tooth toothpaste, and then PEG compounds. All of these things you want to look out for. If you see them on products, you want to stay away from it. I don't have time to get into ex exactly what problems they cause, but there are things from um, um, brain sorts of things, so they, they, they affect, um, they're essentially neurotoxins. Um, some are known carcinogens, some affect allergies or cause allergies for people who have asthma and you wonder why your asthma is getting worse and worse or, or it's bad. A lot of times it has to do with the cosmetics products that you're using because these things affect allergies. Um, so some are worse than others, and I'll point you to a website um, towards the end where you can actually go and uh, type in whatever product you're using and you can see what the actual health implications and the health effects are. Okay, so here's another story um, I, I want us to look at. And this is a story that was, um, it, it's a part of the Story of Stuff series. How many of you have seen the Story of Stuff? Story of Bottled Water? If you've seen any of those things, there's a, a new story out called The Story of Cosmetics. Um, the Ford Foundation and other funders who have, and advocates who have worked on this issue of, of safer cosmetics, they got together with Annie Leonard and some of the other folks who work on the um, Story of Stuff uh, videos, and they've created one about cosmetics. I think it's important for us to understand how the industry works because that helps us to understand where our power lies 
or lie as um, consumers and what we can actually do about it to change the industry itself. Oh, I was supposed to do something else. Uh, but I think I might have two. This is a story about a world obsessed with stuff. It's a story about a system in crisis. We're trashing the planet, we're trashing each other, and we're not even having fun. The good thing is that when we start to understand the system, we start to see lots of places to step in and turn these problems into solutions. Can I tell you, I love my Pantene Pro-V. Of the dozen or so personal care products that I use every day, it's the one I can't live without. Says it gives my dull hair the ultimate cool shine. How does it do that? I was wondering that while I was lathering it in my hair one day, so I read the ingredients right here. Sodium lauryl sulfate, tetrasodium EDTA, methyl isothiazolinone. What is this stuff? I took this list to some scientists who know how to read it. Turns out my Pantene contains a chemical linked to cancer. And lots of other products in my bathroom, from sunscreen to lipstick and even baby shampoo, also contain chemicals linked to cancer or other problems like learning disabilities, asthma, and even damaged sperm. Like most parents, I try to keep my family safe. But now I find out my bathroom is a minefield of toxins? What are we supposed to do? To find out the answers, we have to go back to one of the key features of our materials economy. Toxics in, toxics out. If, at the factory, you pour toxic chemicals into a product, like baby shampoo, you're going to wind up with toxic baby shampoo and toxics in workers, communities, and, duh, babies. So let's take a closer look at this toxic outrage where it seeps into our lives every day, in the bathroom. The average woman in the U.S. uses about 12 personal care products daily. The average man, about six. Each product containing a dozen or more chemicals. Less than 20% of chemicals and cosmetics have been assessed for safety by the industry's safety panel. So we just don't know what they do to us when we use them. Would you fly on an airline that only inspects 20% of its planes? Of course, not all of these chemicals are dangerous, but we know that many are. Some are carcinogens. That means that they can cause cancer. Others are neurotoxins and reproductive toxins, proven to mess up brain development and reproduction in animals. Wait a minute, we're animals too. It's like a giant experiment. We're using all these mystery chemicals and just waiting to see what happens. One thing we do know is that they're getting inside us. I had my body's toxicity levels tested, and I'm loaded with things like mercury, flame retardants, triclosan, and lead. We all are. Even babies are being born pre-polluted. Now, I know we can't live in a lead-free world, but do we have to put lead in our lipstick? I don't know. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I just bought the wrong thing. At the store, the choices seem endless. I can get lipstick in 49 shades, or shampoo for hair that's too dry, oily, fine, limp, or frizzy. But what about the choices that really matter, like the choice to buy products that are safe? It turns out the important decisions don't happen when I choose to take a product off the shelf. They happen when companies and governments decide what products should go on the shelves. So who are these companies? This is Procter & Gamble. They're the ones offering me herbal essences, the number two shampoo in the country. 
It contains toxic petrochemicals made from oil. Since when is oil an herb? On cosmetics labels, words like herbal, natural, even organic have no legal definition. That means that anybody can put anything in a bottle and call it natural, and they do. I mean, can you imagine a top seller called Petro Essences? Gross. What's even nastier are hair relaxers marketed to five-year-olds and skin whitening creams. These are super toxic, both in their ingredients and in the message they send about what beauty is. Oh, here's Estee Lauder offering me a chance to help find a cure for breast cancer. That's nice. But wait, they're also using chemicals linked to cancer. Don't you think the best way for Estee Lauder to fight cancer is to stop using those chemicals in the first place? So really, I get to choose between meaningless claims on a bottle. But these guys get the real choice about what goes into those bottles. And that happens back here, at the factories where they're formulated. Why do the makers of these products use all these toxics? Are they trying to poison us? No, they're just working from a 1950s mindset when people were totally swept up in better living through chemistry. In all that excitement, they forgot to worry about human health impacts. That was years ago, and they are still using these same old toxic chemicals. Today, big cosmetics companies say the doses of poison in the products are small enough to be harmless. Yeah, maybe if you use them once a year. I guess they never get out and see that their products are being used and combined with other products every day. A little toxic dose under your arms, a little more on your hair, on your lips. And workers in nail and hair salons get dosed all day long. So the industry is used to doing things this way, and they can, because even now that scientists have linked the chemicals they're using to all sorts of problems, there are no laws to get rid of them. You're thinking, really? Come on, nobody's making sure that the stuff we smear all over our bodies is safe? Nope. The FDA doesn't even assess the safety of personal care products or their ingredients. Since 1938, They've banned just eight out of over 12,000 ingredients used in cosmetics. They don't even require that all of the ingredients be listed on the label. Now, this is an example where we can all agree a little more government action would be helpful. This lack of regulation leaves a huge hole that the cosmetics industry is all too happy to fill. They set up their own committee to self-police their products, and compliance with their recommendations is voluntary. So the cosmetics industry is making the rules and then deciding whether or not to follow them. So you see, it isn't our fault that these toxic products are in our bathrooms. It's a whole broken system that's ignoring the simple rule, toxics in, toxics out. But we're not helpless. There are resources online that we can use to protect ourselves by identifying the best possible choices in the store. But the real action is with people working to change the system. Because if we really want to solve this problem, we got to start here with these guys. Women, parents, workers, people all over the country are demanding that Congress pass a new law, giving FDA the power to make sure that our personal care products are safe. We need common sense laws based on the precautionary principle. That means that when you're dealing with hazardous chemicals, just err on the side of caution. Let's not debate how much lead should be allowed in lipstick. Just get the toxic chemicals out of our products. Smarter laws would force companies to get past that old 50s mindset and figure out how to get us all clean and shiny without toxic chemicals. Can they? Totally. Many responsible cosmetics companies are already putting safer products on the market. Green chemists are developing substances that are designed to be safe and non-toxic in the first place. 
European governments have required the removal of many toxic chemicals, and companies have figured out how to comply. When cosmetics are reformulated to be safe and labeled honestly, then we can feel comfortable with the choices available at the store. We can choose bouncy hair or full hair, shiny lipstick or matte. We can even choose to feel beautiful without using 20 products. But we'll know that whatever we choose, the most important choice, the choice to be safe and healthy, has already been made. wondering or thinking to yourself is really there's no regulations there's no one out there there's got to be something right you can't just make stuff um, but the truth is there is no regulation um, and I looked this up myself because I didn't believe it either I'm thinking no you know this is sort of the, 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 the sort of um, liberal hype of the green movement this is not real there's got to be somebody watching this industry and there isn't what I found is that there are two laws um, or two policies or pieces of legislation that are supported by the FDA on cosmetics, neither of which deal with what's in the product in the first place. So even looking at these two things, one which talks about um, adulteration of products or misbranding of products in interstate commerce, right? This is not about what should go in the products in the first place. This is about something happening to the product, it, one product getting mixed with something else or a product being tampered with. That's what that law is dealing with. That's the first one. The second one is dealing with labeling, something that's improperly labeled, something that's deceptive. Those are the two only, the only two um, pieces of legislation or, 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 or um, regulation, regulatory sort of pieces that the FDA looks at. Other than that, companies can do whatever they want with their products. And clearly from the video, um, there is some testing, but there's only testing after something is found to be harmful, and then the FDA says, okay, let's crack down on this and let's look at it. And that's what's happened with a few products on the market as, a, as of late. But this is it, folks. And I think it's important for people to understand that. And the only reason we have those is because of advocacy groups, not because um, the cosmetics in industry is interested in our health or because legislators are interested in it. It's because advocacy groups, regular people like you and I, like Stacey Malkin, who was a journalist and decided to form this group, um, these are the reasons we have these policies. So it's important for us to know um, the power that we do have. Um, I have an example that I wanted us to look at, and I actually have two clips, but I'm only going to do one just in the interest of time. But I wanted us to look at this issue of the Brazilian blowout because I think this is an interesting example of how the industry actually works. Um, the Brazilian blowout, it's essentially, um, it's like a relaxer. It's a straightening product, right? If, if any of you have noticed, a lot of women are into these really, really straight styles. They're either using a flat iron to get it or they're blow drying their hair to death in order to get this super straight um, hair. So a product has come out called the Brazilian Blowout, which many um, women are using. Um, and I say women because I don't know of any men that use it. That doesn't mean they can't use it. Uh, many women are using this product. Um, a few years ago, um, in 2010, and I'm only going to show the current video, but just to give you a sense of the background, in 2010, um, uh, a report came out from ABC News talking about the Brazilian Blowout because a couple of chemists um, tested the product itself, and they found formaldehyde in the product. Um, the company that makes the Brazilian blowout claimed they did not use formaldehyde. 
Um, and the information that they gave the hair salons was exactly the same. There was no formaldehyde. There was nothing on the labeling that mentioned formaldehyde. So the, the um, hairstylist kept using it and telling um, the women who were coming in, getting this two to $300 hairdo, um, that it was safe. This was in 2010. A few months ago, another report came out where the company has now decided to be truthful in their labeling, and there's now a sticker on the Brazilian blowout product saying this does contain some trace amounts or whatever of formaldehyde. What's important to understand is the only reason this company did this is not because anyone forced them to do it. And when I say anyone, I mean government bodies or anyone that matters to these people. The only reason they did it is because they were starting to get heat from advocacy groups, um, ABC and other journalist types of outfits began to do more reports on it and to talk about it. But again, I think it's really important that we have some sort of system in place that says if you, you know, mislabel or if you, you know, um, lie to the public or if you're putting these chemicals in the products in the first place, that there should be some ramifications or fines. There's none of that that exists, which I find really interesting. So I want to look at really quickly this, uh, it's uh, three minutes. Um, ABC um, video on um, the Brazilian, Brazilian blowout, just so you can see. Five months since the federal government put out a hazard alert warning that the blockbuster hair smoothing treatment Brazilian blowout contains liquid formaldehyde. So we wanted to know if this information has trickled down to salons or if they're still inadvertently misleading customers. ABC's Elizabeth Leamy used a hidden camera to find out. We took a hidden camera to 16 certified Brazilian blowout salons. I seem to ask a couple questions about Brazilian blowout. And not one mentioned any safety concerns, despite the fact the original product has been banned in three countries abroad and investigated by five government agencies here at home. It's very safe. There's no way that are exposed to chemicals strong enough to be harmful. Twelve of the salons acknowledged Brazilian blowout contains a form of formaldehyde, but downplayed the amount. But when the Food and Drug Administration tested samples of Brazilian blowout, it found the product contained 8 to 10 percent liquid formaldehyde. And when the Occupational Safety and Health Administration tested the formaldehyde fumes emitted by the product, some were five times the legal limit. Formaldehyde can cause eye, skin, and breathing irritation in the short term and cancer in the long term. And yet every year, millions of American women risk it, all in the hopes of getting smooth, sleek hair like this. I smoothed my hair with a flat iron, but in the past, women have told us they love Brazilian blowout. I can't believe my hair looks like this. I kind of feel like a million bucks. Salon workers risk more because they're exposed every day. OSHA requires any company that handles formaldehyde to conduct air pollution testing, but not one of the salons we visited said it does that. Some salons test the air and all this. Do you have to do that? I think this is basically turned up to be a really high Actually, OSHA takes formaldehyde so seriously that if the fumes are over the legal limit, workers are required to wear respirators like this. This is very serious. We took our findings straight to the top to U.S. Labor Secretary Hilda Solis, whose department has hit 26 salons with fines of up to $17,000 each. 
We do this for a reason. We have laws in place because we want to protect people from harming themselves at work. And people that are coming in and being exposed to the product also shouldn't, shouldn't have to be exposed to something that's as dangerous as formaldehyde. Four of the 16 salons we visited said original Brazilian blowout doesn't contain any formaldehyde at all. Is the formaldehyde in the original or not? It's not in the original. I love formaldehyde. Clearly, they were relying on the old labeling and literature the government considers misleading. If they say it doesn't have it, I can show it to you on a uh, bottle. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it contains no formaldehyde. Just saying what I see, mm -hmm. what I read it in there, you know. If they lie to me, I lie to you, but I lie because I don't know. It is confusing. So here's some hair care advice from a cabinet secretary. If they're going to use any products with formaldehyde, I'd say don't do it. Brazilian Blowout told us, we believe the new labeling changes we implemented last year have provided our stylists with even greater clarity and understanding regarding our products. Since last year, every bottle has had a bright sticker affixed to it, clearly stating that the treatment needs to be performed in a well-ventilated area. When used as directed, Brazilian Blowout poses no issue for the stylist or the consumer, they say. Good information, Elizabeth Thank you very much. Okay, um, a, a pretty dangerous product. So I tell you all this stuff. The question really is, I think, for most people is, well, what can I do? Everything out there causes cancer. That's what I hear a lot from people. I can't eat anything. I can't do anything. I can't, you know, everything causes cancer. Um, the first thing I would say is read, 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 read. Seriously. There's nothing more important um, than being an informed consumer and actually reading. Um, not just listening to the advertisements or not just, you know, looking at the front of the label. Read the back of the label. Do research. It doesn't take that much time to find a lot of this information. So that's the first thing, to read. The second thing is to be your own advocate. If you think that there is a problem, if you open up a bottle and think, wow, these chemicals are kind of strong, but they say they're safe, I would be my own advocate to determine whether or not those chemicals are actually harmful or not. Um, the other thing, connect with advocacy organizations. Connect with some of these groups. They're happy to email you newsletters and updates to let you know what's going on. They want people to get involved. That's the whole point. Um, and then lastly, support policies and legislation that forces the industry to clean up its act. What does that mean? Well, I'm on just about every environmental email list in the country, so I get tons of information. So I get updated by getting those emails about anything that's going on um, with the federal government, with the state, on any of these issues. And they make it very easy for us now to click to our legislators, to send our legislators an email, let them know what district we're in, and say, listen, you need to vote for this, or I'm not voting for you next time. Right? That's sort of how we're able to have a bit of um, control and a bit of power in our democracy. And if we're not doing that, then we can't expect that there's um, any change. So that's super important. 
Um, the last thing that I want to show you here on the slides is just some information. I talked about Stacy's book. You can go to the FDA website and find out for yourself what the FDA um, looks at, what they regulate, not just on cosmetics, but I think it's important to think about food as well, especially with the latest whole news thing about what's in our um, ground beef with the pink slime and all this other stuff. Don't just listen to the five-minute clip from ABC. Go and find out for yourself, you know, what's happening on this issue. Um, the Environmental Working Group, uh, that's a group that's working on um, a, a wealth of sustainability um, issues, and they also work closely with the Safe Cosmetics Campaign. Um, the SafeCosmeticsCampaign.org website is a really good site. They have tons and tons of updates on some of these issues um, that, are, that are coming out. Okay. Um, sorry, I took a little bit more time than I um, wanted to or had expected, but um, are there any questions um, that you have for me that I can answer, hopefully, or any thoughts or comments? Bright light. <laughs> ah. Thank you, as I move over to this table here, right? Um, so here's what I do. And again, I don't own stock in any of these companies. Um, I'm not saying don't purchase from any of these companies. What I do think is great about the Safe Cosmetics campaign is that they are working with some of these companies who currently have bad stuff in their um, products, but they're working to get, get rid of it. One example of that is OPI. For people who go to nail salons, the, the largest um, uh, uh, available nail polish in most nail salons is, is, a, is a company called OPI. OPI formulates a completely different nail polish for the European Union than it does for the U.S. Why does it do that? Well, because it's cheaper for them to put crap in it, but the European Union won't allow them to sell them the crap. Why we continue to do that, I don't know, but um, the, Safe, uh, the Safe Cosmetics um, campaign has gotten OPI to reformulate their product for the U.S. and to take out the formaldehyde. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But for me... Um, so th this is shampoo, conditioner. This is stuff that I wash my face with. Um, this is moisturizer that I put on my face, um, lip balm, deodorant, lotion. These are all products that I buy that I use. And if you notice, they're big jugs or jars. That's because I have a bunch of people in my house. Um, I get products from Whole Foods. I also get products from local health food stores. There's a, a health food store in my neighborhood, and there are actually a lot around that, that you might not even see because they're not, you know, these huge corporations, you know, with bright lights and bells and whistles. But um, I get products also from Trader Joe's. They don't have a wide variety, but if I'm in there and I just happen to run out of toothpaste or deodorant, they do have that stuff there. Um, you could get products online for people who like to shop online. A lot of these companies, because they um, either don't have the resources or they're not in this sort of mainstream market, um, you can buy from them online from different um, companies. But I will say this. I know that Whole Foods is expensive for a lot of food products. They have, and I've looked around in different places, they have the most reasonable, affordable cosmetics products, not only cosmetics products, but also household cleaning products, paper goods, toilet papers, and things like that, they're actually um, fairly reasonable. So um, I know that, you know, some of their things are expensive. For this, it's $4 for this big bottle of conditioner, just so you know. Um, for this product, this is my facial cleanser. Um, I think this big one, and I have a little thing that I refill from this big jug, um, I think this was $10, which is actually not very expensive for a facial cleanser. For this, a face moisturizer, you know, if you go to the Lancome counter or something like that, it's going to cost you 20 30 bucks to get some stuff in a tiny little bottle. This, uh, this is mostly vitamin E, and it actually works really well. 
I get this from my local health food store. They also sell it in Whole Foods. I've also seen it in a, a few other um, kind of healthier sort of markets. I think this was $12. And to get a big thing like this of moisturizer at Macy's or wherever some people go for their moisturizers, this would be like 50 60 70 bucks for a moisturizer. Um, so these things are re reasonable. They're out there. I've even I've stopped buying the um, the first of all the Windex. It, the smell of it is horrific to me. But I stopped buying window cleaner. I just use vinegar. Although my kids go, Mom, what's that funky smell? It'll last for a couple hours, but eventually it goes away. Um, so there are certainly alternatives that are even cheaper than this, right? You already have those products in your house. The other thing that I've gone away from, and, and I do have some issues with these products. My issues with these products is that they're all in plastic bottles. And I always feel awful when I'm done. And these are all empty. I'm just going to carry them around for presentations. But I always feel awful when I'm done because now I'm loading up my garbage with these plastic bottles. One of the things that I have stopped buying, I've stopped, I stopped buying um, liquid um, like shower gel, and I just buy the bar soap. And I get loose bar soap, and I know some people don't like bar soap, but I get loose bar soap that doesn't have any packaging, that you just buy it, you know, they sell these at Whole Foods too, but you'll see them at um, these sort of natural kind of, some ethnic sort of stores too will sell soaps like this as well that are, you know, um, and these are soaps, you can make soaps yourself too, but there's lots of alternatives that are out there. One of the things that I hear people saying is that, well, I don't want to drive to five different stores to get the things that I need. Everybody wants this one-stop shop. I don't know what to offer you. Um, I drive to a bunch of different stores to get all of the different products that I actually want. And again, you can shop online if that's something that is a, a resource for you as well, so you don't have to worry about doing that at all. Um, other questions, comments, thoughts? Yes? So are that's a good question because I was driving myself crazy. Um, the gel that I have in my hair is from the devil. Um, <laughs> there is a better product um, out there. I just ran out and I had this stuff in my house, so I used it. Um, I have to draw the line, right? There are some things I don't use. The fragrances I can't do, and it's not just that the fragrances are bad. I can't, I can't even wear perfumes. I can't be around people with perfume just because of my own sensitivity. So th that's one thing that I draw the line with. I don't do fragrances at all. Um, there are even some natural fragrances that are too strong for me, and I stay away from it. Um, but, I mean, if I'm out somewhere, if I'm at a hotel or whatever, and that's the only product that's there, I generally, you know, will use those products. But I think, as stated in both of the videos, it's the constant use of it, the, the constant exposure of the chemicals, that's really, really bad. Um, so, for me, the line sort of shifts from time to time. And now that I have a daughter, um, I, my two older, two older kids are boys, She's into nail polish, which I stopped wearing nail polish about 10 years ago, which was really hard at first because I thought you just have to have polish on your toes if you're a girl, right? That's just what you do. Um, but then when I started reading about what's in nail polish or formaldehyde and so forth, I said, I don't have to have polish on my toes. Is it really that big of a deal? But my daughter loves it. I can't get a four-year-old to understand that there's a problem with nail polish. So I've, I found this polish at Whole Foods, although I think it still smells awful. It doesn't have formaldehyde, but there still are other products. So I think the question really is, what are the individual ingredients? And that's something that you can actually find out. You can look up the ingredients and see what they are and see um, the, the harmful effects. And then you can determine for yourself, 
okay, I know I don't want formaldehyde. That's a problem. But these other things that may cause allergies or may, you know, cause you to sneeze, maybe that's not so bad for me. You know, so that's kind of an individual choice you'll have to make. Um, and then I bought, and I will say this, though, the nail polishes, they, the prices aren't cheaper anywhere. It's ridiculous how much better nail polishes cost. I think this was like $9 for this little bottle. And so I told my daughter, you can only have one color. And then this is nail polish remover. That's supposed to be better, but I still think it's really strong. And this is $8 for this tiny little bottle of remover. And at one sitting, I think I use almost all of it, just on 10 toes. So <laughs> um, there are just some things that haven't been, you know, changing with um, the, you know, green chemistry, I suppose, the language. Well, thank you all for coming. Feel free to come up, look at products, ask me any questions, send me an email, go to any of the websites. Um, I'll try to get Stacy back here. She's working pretty hard, but I think they're understaffed there. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.